Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Chance and my guest today is Pete Caputo. He's the CEO of Databox. He's a former VP of sales at HubSpot and currently specializes in helping companies grow by implementing sales and marketing excellence. His company, Databox, is a business analytics software company that helps companies monitor, report, predict, and improve their entire company's performance in one spot. So, Pete, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Appreciate the intro. And great to be here. So, I just described your business, but let's just let's just take the non-marketing speak and, and just <laughs> sure. say, what does Databox do? Yeah. Well, I think like the biggest problem that we solve for companies is that their performance data is all over the place. So yeah. in mar marketing, it's like the worst where you have website analytics, like Google Analytics, maybe HubSpot. You have SEO data from SEMrush, Ahrefs, Search Console. You have social data, ads data, et cetera. It's everywhere. And so what we did is we built integrations with all those tools, recreated the visualizations and the charts and the metrics that you're used to seeing so that you can click and basically have all that data in one spot view it, set goals against it, forecast performance on it, benchmark it against similar companies, et cetera, et cetera. So. So, so before we get more into that, I want to go backwards a little bit in your entrepreneurial journey. You were a, an early HubSpot person. In fact, I, you know, when Brian and Dormesh were actually creating it and wrote the book inbound marketing, you know, I've, mm -hmm. that's when duct tape marketing was really around. And I had a lot of conversations with them early on. I should have gotten on the partner train. I'm, that's one of my big regrets in life. You know, a whole lot of people were pitching CRM-ish kind of things at the time. And I missed okay. that opportunity, but to you still, better. you know, still have done a lot with HubSpot over the years. But talk a little bit about being in an early start company now that is public. And I know yeah. you've got a lot of opinions about what's going on there, but I'm curious just kind of what it was like to start, you know, in that small of a company that really blew up. Yeah, a hell of an experience. I had no idea at the time uh, when I was joining. I was running a startup of my own and making a living, but not going anywhere. And I did that for several years, six about six years. So when I joined HubSpot, it was like, ooh, a, paycheck, a steady paycheck. And <laughs> other people that are, seem really smart and doing digital marketing, which is what my startup was. So it was just, it was a step up from what I was doing. When I look back, it was actually quite risky. I was 15th employee. I remember the 100 person party, like the 100 customer party. I remember we went and grabbed beer and like pizza and celebrated that we had 100 customers paying us 250 a month. So do the math, like that's 300 <laughs> yeah. grand annual revenue. So really risky startup that I joined, but obviously it turned out quite well. And then I stayed there for nine years. I was the first person to go from individual contributor as sales rep to manager, director, and then VP. And so I grew a big team there. I started the agency partner program that you passed on and, <laughs> and built that up. And that became about, and now is about 40% of HubSpot's revenue. Yeah. I stayed there until that team was a counter million in annualized revenue, which was around 2016. Yeah. And so HubSpot since then has gone crazy. I think as a company, they're doing 2.2 billion in annual revenue and 40% of that's or roughly, you know, I don't think that's, they show it publicly that often, but about 40% of that is, is coming in through partners. So it's a billion dollar business at this point. So quite an well, experience. And, and I know you didn't get on here to talk about HubSpot, but I have one more question <laughs> to, to dive in there. Because um, that partner program is a lot of agencies who you work yeah. with 
uh, still today. That's really your target today. And I work with a, a number of HubSpot agencies and I'm hearing some grumbling that they, you know, got to a point where they said, oh, you know, I know you were with us a long time, but, you know, we're doing something different and here's mm -hmm. the new program. I'm hearing some grumbling that happens Absolutely. when companies grow, but, and I know you're not, you know, I know you're still a big fan of HubSpot, but I'm curious yeah, how you feel like that move is, has really yeah. turned out for them. So HubSpot, the uh, HubSpot execs are used to me being bluntly honest because I was bluntly honest as an employee. Well, so I'm happy to continue with that reputation. But yeah, so they definitely made a bunch of changes. I think the the net of it is it went from HubSpot teaching a business model to follow to more of a, a partner program where you're reselling yeah, technology. Yeah. And that, yeah. like, I don't think a company with 100,000 or however many customers they have, I think it's way over 100,000, it can continue to be a business. They didn't, they chose not Whoa. to continue to be a, a business model advisor to agencies, yeah, yeah. which is the way the program started, right? We were helping these agencies improve their cash flow by switching away from project work to retainers, inbound marketing retainers. And that, I think that time's passed. HubSpot doesn't even really talk about inbound marketing that much. They talk about the CRM. Yeah. And so HubSpot, I think, recently has made painful for some, but necessary changes for both yeah. their business, as well as I think for the partners and what what's happening now from my observations and talking to lots of partners is that more HubSpot is really bringing partners into deals and leveraging them for service, sales assistance yeah. and service so that HubSpot doesn't need to build, continue to build a massive services team yeah. and can rely on agencies to do the very customized, personalized work to make a CRM and a market automation and a services platform work. So I yeah. think it's the right move for HubSpot to change it where they have a smaller number of partners that they're referring or bringing into deals where they can really control for the quality. And those partners are big enough and capitalized enough to be able to offer a breadth of services that help the customer implement the entire HubSpot product suite. So yeah. I think they're and making necessary changes. But yes, it's painful, I think, for the smaller agencies who don't get those yeah. referrals. They also change the commission program. So those the commission starts to expire, especially for those smaller firms that don't keep up with selling new licenses. D definitely, I think what we'll see, my prediction would be that there's a little bit of a rationalization. There's fewer small partners, more big partners, maybe more specialized partners who specialize either in a type of service or a niche market that can bring expertise that HubSpot doesn't have internally. But but again, these are things that happen in a maturing partner program. Yeah, yeah and it's a proven model. I mean, it's a Salesforce, you know, <laughs> kind of and model I'm bringing in those partners. In. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So let's go back to data. You started to describe what you've done with Databox. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, there are a lot of other tools out there that claim that same space. Mm -hmm. Agency analytics, for example, is one that comes to mind. How do you tell people, here's what we're trying to do that's different? Yeah. So the, the, the most unique thing that we do is that we turn data into KPIs, still provide a level of flexibility in terms of what data metrics somebody wants to show it and how they're going to show it and how they're going to visualize it. And it really enables a custom reporting platform. So I think when we're comparing to companies like agency analytics, I think the flexibility of our system is really good. When you're comparing us to companies more like business intelligence tools, where mm. we're where we are strong is our native integrations. So turning yeah. the data that gets pulled from APIs from say a HubSpot or a Google Analytics or whatever, and translating that for the user into the metric that they're used to seeing. So 
sessions by referral source, sessions by organic, sessions by paid, right? Yeah. And all the way down to the keyword level or the ad level, we recreate that. So it's point click <clears throat> and choosing, making choices and drop downs as opposed to what many BI tools do is like, okay, get your data into a warehouse. And then once you do that, learn how to write SQL or use this <laughs> thing and look at all your data and then extract the right metric. So what that net that allows is somebody who's not extremely technical to get in and get set up relatively quickly with the metrics that matter from the different tools that they have. You know, what has always um, irritated me with some of the tools in that similar space is the data is there in real time, but there isn't a real handy way to go. Well, let's look at last quarter, you know, and compare, like, have we grown? Yeah. Have we, you know, have things yeah. changed? It's like, nope, here's today's data. And I always find that sort of yes. irritating with a lot of the tools. Yeah. Some of the, I think the lower end tools where it's, they are easy to set up, but it's because yeah. they've coded it exactly the way they've coded it. <laughs> and so there is that lack of flexibility. We actually spent two years doing a project that we internally called custom date ranges that allowed yeah. the user to just change it to any date range in the past, you know, ranges, you know, up month to date, whatever date range you could yeah. want on the fly as they're looking at the dashboards. Believe it or not, it was an extremely complicated problem to solve. And, and that's so, why it exists, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's why there's lots of tools that don't bother. And when we did it, it, all, it really just caught us up almost with what the native tools provide. And so it yeah. was a big project that did, we didn't, get, frankly, get a lot of return because it's kind of table stakes, I think. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so how big, I, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to tee it up for you anyway. <laughs> how big does a company need to be? Because a lot of times people think about data and data warehouses and BI tools, yeah. you know, we're talking enterprise stuff. But how big mm -hmm. does a company need to be to where this type of implementation makes sense? So we have a very inexpensive starting price point. Yeah. I think, don't quote me, I think it's $59 a month. I should know that. But so we have a very low starting price point. So we have lots of small businesses that use us. Our sweet spot of like customers that stick with us for a long time and use the product in the way that we kind of intended it is that like 11 to 250 employee mark. Mm -hmm. We have many customers that are bigger as well, but there's, you know, there's a smaller number of companies that are that bigger. So we have a lot of customers, our big percentage of customers in that 11 to 250. It's generally whether they, you know, they have, they have ongoing marketing and advertising activities. They have salespeople or shopping cart or subscription. And they're, you know, they have multiple people doing things that improve the performance of the business. And what, and they're, each of those people are using multiple tools. That's when our product becomes valuable, especially for an owner. We have a, a persona we call decision maker, Dave. And yeah. that is the person that usually signs up for our product and the person that logs into our product most frequently, they usually though delegate the setup of our product to their managers or, you know, maybe an analyst, but usually just their managers. And so it, it tends to be those small business owners that want that visibility into the performance of their entire company without bugging everybody. They want it real time. They want to be able to explore it themselves. They want to be able to track performance to goal, you know, this month or this quarter yeah. across the team. Hey, if you ever tried to hire freelancers and found that the quality of work was lacking, or you got all the outsourcing excuses as to why the work didn't get done on time. Well, Desk Team 360 has revolutionized the outsourcing game with their insourcing program that eliminates all those frustrations and excuses. 
You get unlimited graphic designs, website, funnels, CRM, email automation, integrations, automations, really anything that requires you to log into software. Imagine all the time and frustrations you can save from trying to get your tech work done properly. We use Desk Team 360 every day in our business, and so I've negotiated you a 10% deal. That's right. Just go to deskteam360.info. Book a discovery call and you'll receive the special duct tape marketing 10% off because, hey, your pal John always takes care of you. So that's it. Go to deskteam360.info and book your call today. So one of the big words when we talk about anything today is prediction or predictive. Mm -hmm. I mean, AI, you know, that's really what AI does. So increasingly, we're going to expect that kind of performance from everything, including our dashboards that we set up yeah. instead of them being rear view mirror, you know, we want to see what's ahead. How are you addressing kind of that trend? Yeah. So we have a bunch of things in play around AI and predictions and also really guidance for how to improve performance. But to answer your question very specifically, we have a standalone forecasting feature where once you connect to your data sources, you can select from different metrics that we've would pull from there and then it forecasts it automatically for you based on your historical performance. So that's pretty new. It's a standalone feature. We haven't even integrated it with our custom dashboards yet or a custom reporting feature working on it. But but yeah, it's, it's very much important piece of what we consider a set of features that are important for really managing the performance of the business. What we observe is that a lot of companies kind of just like, do reporting as a check the box activity. It's like, yep, I sent you my results. Go check it out. Right. And it's either good or bad. It's almost like a report card that, you know, after you're taking your test. Right. But in reality, in business, we get to go and take the test again in a way, right? Where we can say, we got next month, we can change it up. We can do something different. We can do more or less, right? We could try something completely new. So there's a bunch of features we're building, forecasting, benchmarking, which allows companies to compare to their to peers, Correlations, which automatically detect correlations between leading and lagging indicators, which is a really difficult concept, I think, for a lot of marketers to grasp. And so we're trying to make that easy because it's so important to understand like the things you do today that will impact next month and next quarter. And so that's just some of them. There's a few others that we are working on. They're in the works that will launch this quarter and next quarter. But we think there's an opportunity to help companies make decisions by kind of giving them those types of functionalities that help them not just predict the future, but also think about and think about what they could do to impact the future. Yeah. So, so I, I do want to talk, you mentioned benchmarking and benchmark groups, uh, which is a mm -hmm. kind of an educational initiative that I know you do alongside this. I do want to yep. get to that, but I want to ask about one more topic that drives me crazy and that's attribution. I have people that join our fractional CMO program that have been following me for 10 years and, you know, I run an ad and they see it right. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I remember yeah, John's out right. there yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 10 years later. So right. what are some ways that people can start thinking about attribution in a more effective way? Because I don't think many of the tools do a very no, good job. No, I think if you're, reliant, if you're only using... Google Analytics or HubSpot, any right. automated website analytics tool, if that's all you're using, you're seeing maybe 25 to 50% of what's actually happening. Because if you write a book and it gets sold through Amazon, you don't even know who that is, <laughs> let alone whether they read it, right? And I know yeah. you've written a bunch of books. You have a podcast. There's no way to connect your podcast to your CRM to see, hey, they listened to 10 episodes and now they're yeah. in our funnel, right? There's so many things now that 
happen to actually be the more effective marketing tactics and channels that aren't measurable by the tools that most companies use. Now you can measure like how many downloads did I get to my, on my podcast? You can measure how many, you, right. every, so often you get a report from Amazon, say how many books were sold. And so you can see directionally whether those, that content is resonating with your audience, but you can't connect it to the sales that or sale that you got unless you ask. And so I think we're back to, you know, 1990s marketing attribution, <laughs> 1980s before the internet was around where when you called somebody's business, they asked, oh, how'd you hear about us? And they said, word of mouth, a friend referred or yellow pages or saw you at a trade show two years ago, whatever it was. Yeah. And so if we ask those questions on forums on our website, on our Zoom sales calls, then we can start to actually get a piece, a much better picture of which marketing is working. The yes, problem is yes. very few companies are doing that in any kind of structured way. Well, and I tell you too, you'd take that with a grain of salt too, because I, we have a lot of organizations we work with where we use that model and people mm -hmm. don't remember where they heard. <laughs> so they just pick one. Yeah. I think capturing <laughs> on a form is tough because people are like, I'm just trying to get through this form. I want to book exactly. a call. With like, I just want the stupid ebook. Why am I asking yeah. answering this question? But when you get somebody in a sales conversation, like they, they will usually yeah. like, yeah. oh yeah, I've been following you guys for this. And I listen, I, you know, listen to your podcast, like you get a little more context, but yeah. then there's a whole process of like grabbing that data, organizing it, and then analyzing it, which requires a human to usually yeah. to go, go For fun, we'll sometimes put my great aunt told me about you as the first choice. <laughs> and, you know, when we get a bunch of those, we know they're just when getting you know, through the form. Yeah. No, it's important <laughs> to have an open text field, I think, in those you know, <laughs> So let's go back to the benchmark groups a little bit. And again, I'm yeah. just going to open it up and you tell me what you're doing with that and what you've seen and you know how somebody might be able to participate in that. Sure. So it's a free product. It's available at benchmarks.databox.com. You can go there, sign up, get access to benchmarks from tens of thousands of companies who have opted in and, to, and they've agreed to anonymously, I shouldn't put that in quotes, they agreed to anonymously <laughs> share their performance data in order to access a benchmark that allows them on a report to see here's how we compare. And we've organized those companies once again, and honestly by company size and industry and type of business, et cetera. So you can go in and see how does my Shopify performance metrics compare to other e-commerce companies with 50 or more employees or something like that. Or how can I go and see how my HubSpot performance metrics compare to other companies that are SaaS companies. And, and so completely free. We're on a mission to like help companies just understand how they should be performing because I think it's really hard and confusing for most small businesses to figure that out. Not only is it hard for them to even know what metrics to track, it's hard for them to know, is this good or bad? And so that's yeah. what we're trying to, to answer. Well, could all, somebody yeah. I was going to say, could somebody theoretically bring their own group? Like here's my, I want to benchmark yeah. my customers, something of that nature. Yeah, so especially so we, B2B, obviously. We're, we're coming up, we're just short of about a hundred partnerships, which is what we call them, where other companies decided to say, I want to build a benchmark of my own. So we have an agency, for example, that only works with mental and behavioral health clinics. And they have 200 of those clinics as clients. And so what they did is created a group. They can add their clients to it or, or ask their clients to opt in. And then once that's done, it automatically calculates the benchmark. And so now they, that agency is the owner of the only, I think the only proprietary benchmark for behavioral mental health clinics that want to measure their Facebook ads, Google ads, Google analytics, and search console performance. 
and nationwide because they have nationwide coverage so they can even see like how is your performance in texas compared to your performance in pennsylvania and so they have this amazing data set that they now can go in and say to a client or prospect like you're we're, yeah. you know you're you're spending a lot more than the average and your results are less or you know you could probably afford to spend a little bit more to keep up with your peers and and if we were able to increase our reduce the cpc cost per click maybe you can justify that and that would ultimately yield them more results so it allows them to go in and consult objectively to either a new prospect or client Awesome. So, so it's effectively t bringing in, it's very focused on advertising and kind of a core set marketing, of social media, yeah, CRM data. We have a lot of sales data, some finance data, although people are a little less likely to share, share that even though it's anonymous. So it's a yeah. lot more marketing and sales data. Yeah. Awesome. Right well, Pete, I appreciate you taking a few moments to come and chat with the listeners of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. You want to uh, tell people where they can uh, find you, maybe connect with you, and certainly find out more about Databox? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm very active on LinkedIn these days. So Peter Caputa on LinkedIn. There's two of us, but one doesn't post. So And I post almost daily, so I'm pretty easy to pick and, up. And you're, P and you're Peter Caputa the fourth. As I am well, the fourth. So. yes, I'm the fourth. Uh, <laughs> my great grandfather, father, and my son are all Peter Caputa. So, yeah, if you, if, if, and there's actually a Peter Caputa fourth. That's what I meant. There's another guy in Germany that's the fourth, which is crazy. Um, oh, funny. So, uh, yeah, and then Databox is just databox.com. Just like uh, if they see the video, they can see it on my yeah. hat here, but databox.com, just like it sounds. Awesome. And we'll have it in the show notes as well. So, again, appreciate you stopping by, and hopefully, we'll run into you one of these days out there on the road.